Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Happy Championship Sunday, everyone, and welcome to Taking You to School, the only college football show on the RF Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Joe Perello of SweetSports.com. That's S-U-I-T-E, Sports.com. Alongside me, as always, is Kels Dayton of Round Ball Daily. Kels also writes for Sheridan Hoops and Slam Magazine. Uh, Kels, I know you're a big fan of Championship Week. How pumped are you for these uh, conference tournaments? Oh, this is the best time of the year, Joe. I can't even, I can't believe it's already here. It's just unbelievable. So many games on all day and all night, all week long. You can't ask for anything better than this. This truly is the beginning of a, a really great time of year, March Madness. Uh, and you get to see all these teams that maybe you don't get to watch a lot during the year because they're not on national TV, and, and they kind of get the spotlight shown on them a little brighter this week. So it's obviously very, very nice. Uh, as always, you listening at home, if you'd like to call in and speak to Kells or myself, the number here is 323-927-2906. Once again, that's 323-927-2906. Also, if you're looking to get in on some of that March Madness, RF Sports Radio has a promotion going on right now, so you can buy tickets to the Big Dance. Head to rfsportsradio.com for more information on tickets and venues. Uh, Kels, let's go back into those smaller conference tournaments. Start there. Uh, Some teams have now officially punched their tickets to the Big Dance, got into the field of 68. Uh, Florida Gulf Coast (laughs) punched their – well, they became the first team to punch a ticket to the dance, and it's also their first appearance in school history. The Eagles knocked off Mercer to win the Atlantic Sun yesterday. Uh, Harvard going to its second consecutive NCAA tournament. The Crimson beat Cornell yesterday to win the Ivy League. And, you know, you just have to feel good for those sad saps at Harvard. Those guys don't have much going on. They don't really ever get any, uh, anything good in life, so you got to feel good for Harvard. Uh, Belmont's buzzer beater sunk Murray State. Much to the delight of uh, some major conference teams on the bubble, just in case Belmont might have gotten in as an at-large. Right now, Creighton and Wichita State are fighting it out for the Missouri Valley Conference. And Liberty, a team that came in at 14-20, and only 6-10 and in the conference, just won the Big South earlier today to punch its ticket, so we've got a surprise there. Uh, Kells, let's take a look across the country, these mid-major tournaments. Uh, Of the teams that are already in or that you think are going to get in, uh, which ones do you think could make a little noise in the tournament? Well, Joe, uh, I'm looking at Belmont right now as my team that I think is going to make some noise. Uh, obviously, like you said, they might have gotten into the tournament anyway uh, had they not beaten Murray State in what was a classic game last night. Absolutely outstanding job by Karan Johnson hitting uh, two clutch jumpers from the free throw line. Uh, one of them was at the end of regulation, and then obviously the one in overtime to give them the win. Uh, you got to feel for Murray State in that game as well because I thought they might have been able to make some noise if they had gotten yeah. in. He had a uh, senior point guard in Isaiah Cannon, who was uh, one of the toasts of the country last year, uh, one of the best players last year in All-American. But when you look at Belmont, um, they've now done it in two different conferences. They won the Atlantic Sun uh, the past uh, two years, and they've won it five out of the last seven years. And they come right into the Ohio Valley this year, and they uh, just absolutely dominated. They went 14-2, and two, uh, did lose at Murray State during the regular season, but obviously beat mm-hmm. them when it counted the most. And, you know, you look at Belmont, Joe, and I think that they've got a chance to make a run. Uh, in 2008, uh, they almost beat Duke as a 15 seed, so uh, Rick Bird's got some experience, their head coach. Uh, Ian Clark and Karan Johnson, both seniors, both leaders on that team. Those guys could really uh, come up and, you know, obviously against a team that's uh, from a, a major conference with not as much experience, they could really be a tough opponent for them. So, Belmont is my team that I think uh, out of the teams that have clinched so far when you look at FGCU, even though they did beat Miami, uh, you look at Harvard, who was there last year, and I don't think Liberty is going to do anything (laughs) in in the uh, tournament. So I think Belmont's the team that I'm looking at right now. Yeah, and when you look at these mid-major teams, uh, you look at a team like FGCU, and, you know, I love Florida Gulf Coast. I'm, I'm a Florida guy. But those are teams that are just happy to be there. Belmont's been there before. They've had some measure of uh, success, you know, they're, they're not just there to just be there and get blown out. They're a team that's actually going to look uh, to do something. This is more of a business trip for them. Uh, 
let's move on from those mid-majors and talk some of the traditional powers for just a moment. We'll get back to the mid-majors. We've got a lot of time for that. Uh, but let's talk about this final season of the Big East as we know it. Now they're talking about the Catholic Seven leaving in June. But uh, let's wrap up this last year of the traditional Big East. Uh, Georgetown has come on really strong of late, led by Otto Porter, and the Hoyas have won 12 of 13 to wrap up that Big East schedule. They're going to split the conference's regular season title with Louisville and Marquette, obviously a great finish for Georgetown. Uh, but on the other side of that is the team Georgetown kind of humiliated last night, Syracuse. Uh, the Orange generated a measly 39 points against the Hoyas and have now lost four of five and five of eight heading into that Big East tournament. Kells, you know, this is a talented group, and Jim Beheim, he didn't become a bad coach overnight. What's kind of going on with Syracuse? Right. I mean, it's it's really unbelievable what's happened to them when you look at, you know, some of their losses at first, you know, three in a row to Georgetown, Marquette, and Louisville. That's not terrible, yeah. especially at mm-hmm. Marquette. Um, but this, this Georgetown loss at Georgetown was absolutely shocking. I mean, they just got the doors blown off of them. Uh, they played horrible. Um, you look at Brandon Trish has really not played well, uh, really for much of the Big East schedule that uh, he's played for Syracuse. Uh, he really hasn't been the type of guy that you thought he was going to be, the senior guard you know, coming in and leading this team. I think the big thing is they really just don't have the score that they've had in the past. When you look at them, uh, C.J. Fair leads them in scoring. But, you know, you look at the Syracuse teams of the past and even uh, Dante Green uh, from back in the day, you look, you know, there's always been that one guy that's, you know, been above everyone else has been able, they've been able to go to when they need a basket. And uh, they just don't seem to have that this year. And, it's really strange, isn't it? I mean, you look at what they've done this season. Did you think they'd be eleven and seven in the Big East at this time? I mean, it's not with the way they started. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's unbelievable what's happened to them. So, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? I think they're going to need to uh, turn things around, and we've seen that before when they've uh, really struggled towards the end of the season and they've gone into the Big East tournament and gotten some things done there, and then made a mm-hmm. run. And maybe uh, maybe Syracuse is better when they're the underdog. So I think, you know, that could work towards their favor. But right now, there's a lot of issues going on up there in Syracuse. Uh, most definitely. And, you know, the the Big East tournament, though, you know, it's a great place to turn things around. It's a place that can cure what ails you. Of course, everybody remembers uh, Connecticut a couple of years ago going on that run in the Big East tournament. And just, uh, you know, they just never lost again. And Kemba Walker got on fire. And so uh, not that I'm saying Syracuse will do that. But uh, a nice run in the Big East tournament uh, can certainly uh, put you in position for an NCAA tournament run. Right, and I mean, I think Syracuse still has the talent to be able to do that, but it's just going to come down to whether they can regroup, get together, maybe have a players-only meeting, you know, do something like that to really focus them and get ready for the tournament because, you know, and it's another thing with uh, these teams that have the nobody-believes-in-us factor that Bill Simmons talked yeah. about there. I mean, I think maybe they could start to get that type of feeling, uh, and maybe that could work in their favor, but, man, they, they were absolutely horrible against Georgetown. <laughs> So uh, it's going to be really interesting if they can turn it around. You are right about that, and I have a few notes about just how horrible they were against Georgetown because I thought these were really interesting. Uh, The 39 points they scored was the lowest the Orange have scored in a game since 1962 when they beat Kent Kent State 36-35. It's the lowest they've scored in a loss since 1950 when they lost 43-36 to Duquesne. And Duquesne, you know, Duquesne's probably the – Third best team in Pittsburgh right now. So, obviously, some pretty rough times for Bayheim's bunch. They're really going to need to pick that up. Uh, like I said, Madison Square Garden is a good place to correct some things, but uh, it's going to be tough. A uh, reminder to you at home, if you'd like to call in, give us your thoughts. Uh, once again, the number here is 323-927-2906. Once again, that's 323-927-2906. And uh, we'll move on. We'll go across the country a little bit, talk about some bubble teams and the thing people forget, like I said last week about bubble teams, they're generally not that good. They're average teams. These are teams, you know, that are losing once a week in conference play. That's why they're on the bubble. Uh, but they really need to avoid bad losses, and that's not what Minnesota did yesterday. They got blown out by Purdue in Mackey Arena. The Boilermakers pretty much blasted the Gophers, scored a season-high 89 on them in an 89-73 to route that really wasn't as close as the score indicated. Uh, now both those teams are actually tied, and with tiebreakers, Purdue now sit, jumps ahead of Illinois and Minnesota, two teams on the bubble for seeding in that Big Ten tournament. Uh, but even with that, the Gophers have some big wins over Indiana. 
They've played, if you look at strength of schedule, the second toughest schedule in the country. They've got a, a great front court led by Trevor and Beckway. So there's a lot to like about the Gophers, but they can't seem to get a win away from the barn. Uh, Kells, I won't ask you to comment on, on Minnesota, but when you look across the country, what are some of these teams on the bubble, like a Minnesota, that really need to pick up a win or two in their respective conference tournaments to uh, kind of lock up that bid? Right. Well, uh, it is unbelievable what's happened in Minnesota. I mean, it's they're basically two different teams from the early beginning of the season and mm-hmm. the run that they went on early, and now they've just completely fallen apart. But uh, one of the things that I was thinking about, as you said, uh, who are some of the teams that really need to make a run, basically the entire SEC is in that uh, <laughs> position. And uh, Alabama yesterday, how about that half-court shot? From that was unbelievable. <laughs> that, that right there keeps them in the conversation. I think if they had lost that game 10-7, uh, mm. and seven, I know it was tied when uh, Relaford hit that shot, but yeah. if they had lost that game, they're looking at a situation where they've really got to make a run in that SEC tournament. So I think they're one of the teams that you have to look at. I think uh, the rest of the SEC, when you look at Tennessee, obviously with the win over Missouri yesterday, I think that was huge mm-hmm. for them. I think Missouri's back on that bubble now. I think also I know we're going to get to Kentucky later in the show, but Kentucky mm-hmm. uh, could be a team, obviously, with the win uh, that they had was huge for them and over Florida, obviously, at home. Uh, that might put them in the NCAA tournament. I think they have enough quality wins to get in there. Mm-hmm. So uh, the entire SEC, I think, is really interesting. And then just to bring it back to Minnesota, I think, you know, obviously the fact that they've uh, really 8-10 and 10 now in the conference, uh, lost to Nebraska, lost to Purdue. I mean, those are just – those are awful losses. Those are NIT losses right there. <laughs> so uh, they they really might need to win a game in this Big Ten tournament. If they don't make the field, they'll only have themselves to blame, and they can't be sitting there on Selection Sunday – uh, you know, complaining about the fact that they didn't get in. Yeah, yeah, you know, they're they're the classic Jekyll and Hyde team in this field right now, you know. Really good wins and some really head scratching losses. Absolutely. I mean it, it is it's it's amazing what's happened to them. Uh you know, you really thought I mean, teams in the Big Ten have gone through this when you look at Illinois. I know Illinois is only eight and ten in the conference, Wisconsin almost losing to Penn State today. They uh yeah. falling off a little bit, but it's such a tough schedule in that Big Ten. Yeah, and it's so weird because, you know, when we talk about the best conference in America, and I think most people agree that the Big Ten is the best conference in America this year, but this isn't the kind of conference where there's no off nights. I mean, Penn State is bad. Penn State is really bad. <laughs> so is Nebraska. And Northwestern was good early on, but they've suffered some injuries. They've lost a lot of scoring. Like, those are three you should win those games. You know, uh, Purdue still has enough talent to at least put up a fight with people, but Northwestern, Penn State, and Nebraska, if you're losing to those teams, there's something very, very wrong with you, especially for a gopher team that has a ton of experience uh, and a, a veteran coach like Tubby Smith. It just doesn't seem to make much sense that they're they're going through these highs and lows. Yeah, I mean, Nebraska, obviously the, the Nebraska loss is almost indefensible, but uh, it is, I think, in their defense, when you look at it, is defending the indefensible. I think uh, you beat Indiana, you beat, you yeah. kill Penn State in the next game. It's almost like a letdown game heading at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. They did only lose by two, uh, so mm-hmm. it's kind of a tough place to play. But the Purdue loss, just kind of augmenting that with the Purdue loss, it just it, it doesn't make any yeah. sense what's happened to them. Maybe they let their guard down a little bit after they beat Indiana, or maybe they're just a really bad road team because they've been awful on the road. <laughs> Uh, it's it's hard to figure out what's going on with Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't – I think they're just a really good home team. That's kind of been my theory on Minnesota, that they're not a great team, but the barn is a really tough place to play, and they have a good front court. They force you to take a lot of outside shots, and when you're playing on the road in the Big Ten, teams typically don't shoot very well and don't get – I mean, the Big Ten officiating from home and away is a large discrepancy – so uh, I think they're just a good home team, and I think they're a below-average overall team is kind of my uh, opinion of Minnesota. But we'll move on from them. Uh, take a look at a team like Villanova that's kind of played its way back into the conversation with that win over Georgetown. They're the only team to beat Georgetown in, what, a month and a half now, something like that? So that was a great win for them. Uh, I'm loving Virginia and Maryland. You know, I think they're in at this point. They're teams that I think that are on the bubble they they probably want to pick up another win just to make sure. And I love Alex Lynn from uh, Maryland. He's one of those big guys that 
dang it, when he asserts himself, he can be dominant. It's just a matter of will he do that. And you look at a guy uh, like Joe Harris out of Virginia, such a complete player offensively, really good ball handler, great outside shooter, you know, not a phenomenal athlete, but he, he just has so many tools, and he's always going to give the Cavaliers a chance to win. Uh, what do you make of the, the bubble situation that's kind of uh, intriguing me right now is the Big 12. Uh, you look, obviously the Kansas schools are in, Oklahoma State's in, uh, I think Oklahoma's probably in, Iowa State, a little bit like Minnesota, really good at home, not as great away, and Baylor's kind of tough to figure out lately. Uh, who do you have going in in the Big 12 of those uh, three bubble teams, the uh, Iowa State, Oklahoma, and Baylor? Um, you know, that's a really interesting question. I think uh, when you look at Iowa State, you would think that Iowa State would be the team of those three that probably uh, has the best resume. Um, mm-hmm. I know the loss, obviously, to Kansas at home is huge for them because that really would have been a big win uh, to put yeah. them in. But they did beat Oklahoma State at home, uh, yes. which was a huge win for them. Um, Oklahoma is interesting. I, I think they've probably done enough, like you said, uh, to get in the 20 and 10 overall, uh, 11 and 7 in the league. But they do have some puzzling losses, and they just lost to TCU at TCU, yeah. which is a, a just a disgusting loss for them on their resume. <laughs> That's just terrible. Um, well, the loss to Texas also at Texas. So yeah. I mean, in this season where it's been so crazy and, and anything can happen, especially on the road in college basketball. I don't know if you really penalize them that much for that, but I think when you look at Oklahoma as compared to Baylor, I know Oklahoma has two more two more conference wins than Baylor does, yeah. but Baylor having beaten Kansas, they also won at Rupp Arena early in the season, which has got to be a more impressive win uh, than anything Oklahoma really has. So I think mm-hmm. Baylor might be a little bit a little bit better uh, resume wise than Oklahoma, and I think you know when it's all said and done, I have to believe that all of them are going to get in. Uh, just because mm-hmm. the bubble is so soft right now. But I think all three will probably get in. It's going to depend. I think Baylor, huge game against Oklahoma State at home uh, in their last mm-hmm. game of the season. If they win that one, I think they're in. Um, and it's going to come down to Oklahoma. If they if they bow out early in the Big 12 tournament, I don't think they're going to make it. So it's going to be interesting to see with those three. Okay. So you're kind of taking the team with the more impressive wins that uh... – hasn't put it together like to, quite as much I in do, conference I like, play. I like to look at the more impressive wins because, you know, in conference it does vary. It's not the same as uh, mm-hmm. not the same schedule for everyone as it used to be. So I think the teams that have shown that they can beat the big boys, I like those teams. Yeah, and, and that certainly shows a higher ceiling. So uh, that, that that's something to take in consideration. Let's talk about the ceiling of some of these Pac-12 teams. Uh, they've got a lot of teams in the bubble that look like they're probably going to get in. They're probably going to get five, maybe six teams into the tournament. You look at Oregon, Cal, obviously Arizona, UCLA, and surprise, surprise, Colorado's come on really strong. Uh, but as many teams as they're going to get in, do any of these teams really look like a serious Final Four, even Elite Eight contender? Because I'm just trying to sort out, you know, obviously Arizona's a very, very talented team. They've got some kind of head-scratching losses. Oregon looked really good in the beginning of the year. Now I can't figure them out they really don't do much well other than rebound. So uh, is there anybody in the Pac-12 that you like that can maybe surprise somebody? You know, I think Arizona really started off the season really well. Uh, obviously, I think they won, you know, their first 14 or 15 games uh, and then lost at Oregon, which is not a bad loss. You really look at some of their early losses, they started off with a top-10 team, but they really struggled down the stretch, lost at Colorado, at USC, which is a, a tough loss for them. And uh, I don't know if they can make a run at this point because, really, talent-wise, I'm not sure how much talent they have. If they do have top-10 talent or if it was just, you know, a function of the schedule. They got Florida, which was a big win at home yeah. uh, in a one-point game, and they came back in that game. They were down, I think, eight with uh, about a minute and a half left to play in that game. But, you know, UCLA is interesting, Joe, because uh, they're 23-8 and eight right now. Not a lot of people talking about them. They're kind of sneaking mm-hmm. around. Uh, they finished off the outright Pac-12 championship, 13-5 and in the conference. Did have some bad losses early in the season. They lost to Cal Poly at home, which I don't know how that's even possible. But um, <laughs> Oregon, I think, you know, it's interesting to see. Uh, Oregon's obviously been Heckle and Jekyll or uh, what is it, Jekyll and Hyde. Jekyll and Hyde. Heckle and Jekyll, I like that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. I think, you know, there's a lot of teams like that, but there doesn't really seem to be one that's going to make a run. Other than UCLA, I think they could make a run into the Sweet 16, possibly Elite Eight with the talent that they do have. 
and the fact that they have kind of come on strong, winning five or six here at the end of the season. Yeah, and obviously uh, UCLA, a lot of young talent too. You know, they're relying on some freshmen, obviously guys like was Shabazz Muhammad, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, Arizona's pretty young too. Arizona had one of the best recruiting classes in the country last year. They're leaning on some freshmen. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, I keep going back and forth in my head on whether – we're giving the Pac-12 too much credit or too little credit by getting all these teams in because uh, I'm just not sold on it being a top-to-bottom great conference. And uh, next week we're going to have my buddy David Lombardi cover Stanford and uh, the Pac-12 and recruiting out there. And maybe he can uh, give me a little, little bit more perspective on this. Uh, You know, he watches all the different games and, and gets to sit courtside because he's a jerk. Uh, (laughs) But anyways, let's let's uh, stay out west. I know there's a conference out west that you're uh, pretty fond of in the Mountain West. Uh, you look, it's a pretty fun, been a pretty fun conference this year. New Mexico and UNLV and San Diego State's always really fun to watch. But you know, Boise's on the bubble this year. Colorado State's playing well. I believe Boise just beat San Diego State. So, uh, what do you kind of make of the Mountain West? Uh, how many bids is this? You know, we call it a mid-major, but they might get as many teams into the tournament as some of the major conferences. Right, and they only have nine teams in the conference, too, so I think they could get five out of the nine, which would be really interesting to see. Um, you look at New Mexico, obviously, 13-3 and three in that league. They've been the best team all year long. Uh, but besides them, there are a lot of heckle and jide teams in that league as well. <laughs> uh, you look at uh, San Diego State, 9-7 and seven in conference. They have more talent probably than anyone in that league when you look at uh, James Franklin, uh, who's a yeah. great player, Chase Tapley. they got a lot of experience, too, in their coach, Steve Fisher, uh, one of the best coaches in the country. I think he's really underrated. Um, you look at UNLV as well. UNLV has one of the best players in the country and could be a top draft pick in Anthony Bennett. Um, but they're only 10-6 yeah. in the league. They've got some puzzling losses as well. They lost at Air Force. Um, Air Force is another team that's been coming on 8-8 eight and eight in that league, which is a, a very strong showing for them, 17-12 and 12 overall. If they make some noise in their in that conference tournament, they could be a team that could sneak in backdoor to the NCAA. Right now, I'm looking, Joe. I'm, I got New Mexico, I got Colorado State, UNLV, San Diego State. I think those four are locks. I think all four are going to get in, unless San Diego State loses in that first round of the uh, conference tournament. I think that could pose some problems for them. Boise State probably needs another win. I think they probably need to win the first round game. Uh, they will be playing San Diego State again. State. Uh, Good game, big game. Kind of huge game, and I think that's going to be interesting. Uh, and Air Force as well, I think, again, if they can make some uh, a run in that conference tournament, I think five will get in from that league. I think it's a major league, and I think people have respect for it. Their games are on TV now as well on the NBC Sports Network. You never used to be able to see Colorado State and UNLV and New Mexico. Now you can actually watch them, so I think people are understanding just how good that league is and the fact that it is. You know, if it's not a major conference league, it's right below the major conference leagues as, as probably the best of the rest of all the leagues in the country. Yeah, certainly a top mid-major league. And you look the one team I'm looking at that, you know, you talk about a soft bubble and that could have taken advantage of that was Air Force. But, uh, you know, what have they lost? Like four of their last six. They kind of – they had some real momentum in uh, late January. And since then, uh, I just don't – they haven't been able to beat those top teams in the conference. You know, they've had chances against Colorado State and even Boise State, San Diego State, and they just haven't been able to beat those teams. So, you know, I think if Air Force maybe makes a run to the conference championship, they'd have a shot. But they're going to have to beat UNLV and go through some really tough teams. Uh, I'm just not sold on Air Force yet. But – I really like UNLV. They're really fun to watch. Uh, like you, you just talked about, Anthony Bennett. They're uh, talent-wise, they're right up there with the, those top teams in the country, at least at the top level. Maybe not the depth of talent. Right, and they do. They certainly do have some great players. And I think it's interesting that uh, Anthony Bennett is going to be one of the top uh, draft picks as well. Um, I know 15 and nine, he's averaging eight rebounds, but it kind of seems like he's had a little bit of a down year from what uh, people would have expected from him. But you know, they really do. Talent-wise, even uh, Roscoe Smith, who isn't even playing this year, uh, is on their team. And, uh, that you know, Dave Rice has done a great job there in uh, Las Vegas. Ken Burks, who's a Pittsburgh transfer as well, uh, he's not getting many minutes. And another guy that's interesting, too, from UNLV is uh, Mike Moser, who was the Conference Player of the Year last year. He's only averaging mm-hmm. seven points a game this season. So 
really don't know what's going on uh, there with UNLV <laughs> with some of these guys. Yeah, well, you know, when young talent comes in, it pushes the old fellas aside. But uh, also in that conference, one of the older fellas, you mentioned Jamal Franklin, the uh, junior guard from San Diego State. You know, this is a guy that's going to put up 15 to 20 every night, and he's doing it against pretty high-level competition. Uh, I mean, he's got a pretty complete offensive game. Shoots uh, maybe the one downside is he isn't a great outside shooter for a guard, but uh, do you see him as an NBA player? I mean, I know we kind of give up on guys uh, in terms of what they can do in the NBA if they last in college beyond their sophomore year. Right, that's a great point. Uh, He is a junior right now, so... I think, uh, you know, 17 points a game. I think he's led that team. He's 6'5", you know, he's long arms. I think he could be a defensive player. It's going to be tough, Mm -hmm. I think, for him in the NBA without being a good shooter. Obviously, he's going to have to improve on that. But if he can be like a defensive kind of guy like a Kawhi Leonard, I think he could maybe make an impact there. Uh, I mean, Kawhi Leonard's got hands bigger than my head. So, I mean, (laughs) he doesn't have that kind of physical uh, ability, physical acumen, but um, he could maybe make some noise. I think that's a great question for Jeremy uh, if he ever comes back to the show here, Joe. But yeah, you know he's he's big leaguing us. He's big leaguing us. But uh, <laughs> well, we'll we'll see. I, I think he'd make an interesting uh, an interesting later pick just because, like you said, he's a great defender. He's a really good rebounder for a guard, and he's really physical. So he he'd be a pretty interesting role player at the next level. Uh, I guess he really is, not- and he does. He does play forward as well in that uh, San Diego yeah. State offense because they have a four-guard offense, too, with Steve Fisher. Yeah. So I think uh, that shows a little bit of his skill set as well. Yeah, very versatile guy and a, and a team-first guy that's obviously grown up a lot. Uh, going to a different mid-major conference and uh, one that is no stranger to the NCAA tournament, the uh, Atlantic 10. Uh, that conference obviously has two teams with recent Final Four runs in Butler and Virginia Commonwealth. Uh, I know you're a big fan of the way St. Louis has come on this year. Uh, looking at that conference, what are some of the other teams that are fighting for bids in the Atlantic 10, and how many bids could that league get? Well, that league has been absolutely outstanding this year, Joe. Uh, if you look at VCU, obviously 12-4 and four in the conference. I think they're a lock. Uh, Butler, 11-5. and five. Some of their wins, non-conference, have been great. When you look at Gonzaga, ankle on that great mm-hmm. buzzer beater by Roosevelt Jones. Uh, you look at the fact that they beat Indiana, um, so they've got some obviously great wins. They're a lock. I think Temple probably locked up their bid uh, today when they beat VCU at home. I think yeah. 11 and 5 in the league, 23 and 8 overall. And Joe, you know the team that's really interesting here is LaSalle. I think that's a team 11 and 5. Nobody's talking about them, but they've had a great year. I know they did get blown out by St. Louis yesterday at St. Louis, which I mean that's not really a terrible loss. But you look at their losses. I mean, they really don't have a bad one. They lost to Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, lost to Charlotte, even Bucknell in that Patriot League, which could be an NCAA tournament team. And you look at some of their wins, I mean, they've got to win over VCU in Richmond, which is absolutely great. Uh, One of the the key uh, jewels on their tournament resume. Uh, Another win at Richmond. So they've got some good wins, and I think they're a team that could surprise a lot of people. Um, You look at, they've got a lot of guys who can score. Ramon Galloway, senior, averages uh, 17.5 points per game. So that's another team that... uh, could make a run. And as you go down the standings here, I think UMass is probably on the bubble along with Xavier. I think those are the only other two teams right now, unless someone else wins the tournament, that could get in. Yeah. But you're looking at five five bids out of the Atlanta 10, which is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned Temple's big win today. Uh, LaSalle looks like they're on the right side of the bubble for now. Uh, Butler, they, I mean, obviously getting blown out by Virginia Commonwealth isn't anything to be too ashamed of, but uh, not up to their normal standards. But they do have, like you said, those great early season wins uh, over some of the top ten teams in the country. Uh, St. Louis has been playing very, very well. Xavier is kind of interesting to me, uh, but because they've been so good from year in and year out, but they're kind of falling down the totem pole of that conference. Uh, I think something that's going to be very interesting is what happens to this conference when Butler and Xavier are both, of course, uh, reported to be leaving and joining the new Big East or the uh, Catholic Seven turned Big East, whatever you want to call it. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens to that league, you know, as LaSalle and teams like St. Louis and Temple's leaving too, I believe. So it's going to be very interesting right. to see what happens to the Atlantic 10. Is Temple leaving? Temple's going to uh, the old Big East or the new Big East. I can't keep track of these things. <laughs> right, yeah. It's, I mean, you need basically an advanced degree to keep track of this thing. But 
Temple is going to the American 12 Conference, which is going yes. to be Which is the conference yeah, so, formerly known as the Big East. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be more like it used to be when you look at the Atlantic 10 with more mid-major teams, more of an Atlantic feel, Atlantic 10. Uh, yeah. <laughs> also, St. Louis, and I think VCU will probably be the two teams that will dominate that league. But it's always been a good league. I think this is probably the best it's ever been this year. So, you know, you always got to love the Atlantic 10. It's kind of not quite a mid-major league, but it is a mid-major league. There's some teams at the bottom of the standings when you look at Fordham and GW. Those are mid-majors, St. Bonaventure. At the top, yeah. though, it's more major programs. So it's an interesting league. I, I really love the Atlantic 10. And the Atlantic 10's playing their tournament in Brooklyn. Could be a very interesting thing. Which is cool. Yeah. Very cool. And I think the, the final four of that tournament could be really interesting, the semifinals. So that could be uh, something that could replace the Big East tournament when it's gone next year. Yeah, yeah. No, it's very cool that they're playing that in Brooklyn. Uh, nifty, nifty idea. Uh, you mentioned the difference between mid-major and major, and, and, you know, we're kind of at the point, you know, I, I was reading something, I think it was by Andy Katz, where we use this football vernacular and mention mid-majors and call teams like Gonzaga and Butler and, and VCU, even though they have, you know, deep tournament runs and, and a great basketball tradition. We call them mid-majors, I mean, are those those programs attract talent every bit as easily as, you know, mid, mid-level mid Big Ten teams and, and things of that nature? Is it really fair to call them mid-majors at this point? Yeah, I mean, it really might not be. I mean, I think the mid-major thing comes from how much money they spend on uh, yeah. men's basketball, but, I mean, they probably do spend a little bit less than uh, – the teams from the Big East, but, I mean, a team like Xavier, that's not a mid-major program. I mean, they've been yeah. in the Sweet 16, the Elite 8 for so many years, and that's the, that's one of the top 25 programs in the country. So, you know, it's it's really interesting. I think that conversation, uh, especially with teams like the Atlantic 10 or conferences like the Atlantic 10 and the Mountain West, really you don't really have a name for what they are. They're just they're good, yeah. and they beat teams. <laughs> and even the Missouri Valley, which is on right now with uh, Wichita State and Creighton, I mean, those teams – they probably you would call them mid majors, but they've had so much success in the past, especially Creighton. Uh, so you know it's interesting to see. And Creighton also might be a team that they're talking about coming into that new Big East, which would also be very interesting. Yeah, I will tell you that, that new Big East with those seven uh, former Big East Catholic schools, plus Butler and Xavier and Creighton. I mean, that is a ten-team conference that you could put up against almost anybody because you know you talk about Georgetown talk about Marquette, you talk about those three programs, that's going to be a, a pretty pretty tough tur- tough tournament at the end of that year. Yeah, and, you know, that's something that uh, brings up another good point is uh, how will those teams do? Will they beat up on each other? Will Creighton have mm-hmm. success in that league against, like, a, a Seton Hall and a Providence? It's going to be interesting to see what happens in that league. Okay, okay. Uh, staying with the mid-major theme, uh, I-, I know you love watching these uh, smaller conference tournaments. Fill me in because I'm going to be filling my bracket, and I, I want your insight on this. Who are some of these mid-major teams that maybe I haven't watched a whole bunch this year and a lot of people haven't watched that could pretty much ruin my bracket in the first two rounds? Who do you have making some well, moves? There's a lot of candidates out there, Joe. Uh, where do you want me to start? I mean, there's, there's so many. But you look at, uh, I think, uh, one of the teams that's playing in the Horizon League this year, uh, Valpo. Uh, you look at Ryan Brokoff, mm-hmm. who hit, I don't know if you saw that, um, unbelievable buzzer beater. Um, unbelievable to keep them alive against Green Bay. That could be a team that could make some noise. Uh, you look at Iona out of that uh, out of the MAC. They're in the uh, semifinals right now against Niagara. Um, 7:34 left to play. Actually, Iona is leading 66-61. Um, but you look at them. They've got some good players. Uh, Lamont Jones, Momo Jones, uh, an Arizona transfer. Uh, last year, Iona, just the way that they play, I think it'd be uh, tough for teams when you look at what Tim Clewis does, uh, the fact that they go up and down the court, they score in the 90s. Uh, Scott Machado last year was one of my favorite players in college basketball because he was uh, led, led, led the country in assists and uh, also really ran that team last year. They lost him for this year, but Momo Jones has kind of uh, picked up in his spot, one of the leading scorers in the country. He's done an outstanding job. I think Akron out of the MAC too, is another team you look at them, uh, 24 and 6. They were ranked in the latest poll. Uh, they did lose their point guard, uh, who uh, really to uh, some uh, drug uh, issues, and he will be probably out for the rest of the season. Alex Abreu, uh, which could really hurt them. But those are some of the teams that I'm looking at right now that could really make a run. 
Um, not sure if Iona's going to make it out of the MAC, but if they do, I think they could scare somebody. They were only the fourth seed that year, but they've got so much talent. Okay, okay. All right, mid-major, major, whatever we want to call them. Let, let's get back to the uh, the Power Six, whatever you want to call them, conferences. And and we talked about the SEC tournament a little bit. Uh, Tennessee's come on really strong, and you know that big win over Missouri. And Missouri's kind of gone the other way. And you've got Alabama, and you've got Kentucky with their big win. Um, it's going to be a really interesting tournament, the SEC tournament. But are there any other major conference tournaments that that you think could uh, could shake things up? I know looking at the Big Ten, we talked about Minnesota and maybe in Iowa, maybe in Illinois really needing to pick up some wins. Who are some of these major conference tournaments, or what are some of these major conference tournaments that you're going to be paying attention to? Yeah, I think uh, even the ACC tournament is going to be really interesting too. Uh you know, we talked about Virginia earlier, and I think, you know, 20-10, and 10-7 10 and 7 overall, just lost to B.C. and Florida State. Uh, they yeah. might have played their way out of the tournament at this point, even though they did beat Duke. So they're going to have to make a run in that tournament. Uh, you look at Maryland, who's going to have to make a run, and both teams are talented enough to do so. So that's going to be really interesting to see what happens to those two teams in the early rounds. Uh, you look at NC State, which is 11-7 and 7 in fourth place in the conference uh, right now. They lost to uh, Florida State at Florida State yesterday, which was not a good loss for them, kind of puts them back on the bubble. Really, the ACC, Joe, you look at that conference, and uh, it really isn't that much better than uh, the Pac-12. I think the Pac-12 might be better this year. ACC is kind of down as to to, uh, some of the other leagues. You know, I agree with you to a certain extent. I think the depth of the Pac-12 can put them there with the ACC, but, you know, I don't see a Duke at the top of the Pac-12 that I legitimately think can win a national championship. That, that's very true. And in Miami also, which, you yeah. know, is, that's another interesting question to see if Miami can win the national championship. I know we talked about it last week on the show, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see in that conference and those two teams. But even uh, number three, when you look at uh, standings-wise, North Carolina, they, yeah. they looked awful against Duke yesterday. Not very impressive at all. And uh, early in the season, they were not very good. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I, I don't think a lot of ACC teams are going to make it once we get to the Sweet 16. I think we're going to be down to, if we do have two, I think it's going to be Duke and Miami. I don't see mm-hmm. anyone else in the final 16 of this tournament here. Yeah, North Carolina went on their little run and, and, and kind of got things together. But, man, did they, they ran into a buzzsaw against Duke. Duke just looks like it's at another level with uh, Ryan Kelly back and everybody else in that ACC. And we'll get to, the, at the very end, we'll talk about number one seeds and legit national content, title contenders and all that all that jazz. But you got to believe, I mean, Duke looks as good as anybody right now, don't they? They sure do, especially with Ryan Kelly. And, I mean, I think that's really the big thing for them. And, uh, you know, they've got size, they've got shooters. Uh, Mason Plumley, who not even a lot of people have talked about recently since Kelly came back. Um it's it's going to be interesting because everyone in the country can get beat. There's no one team right now that mm-hmm. uh, looks dominant. And even even uh, with uh, Ryan Kelly, Duke still had some problems at home against Miami. So um, I'm not sure if they're unbeatable. Um, they did hammer North Carolina and they hammered Virginia Tech mm-hmm. in the two games uh, since then that he's come back. But they really do. At this point, it's going to be uh, something where you're either going to put Gonzaga possibly as the number one overall seed or – you really might have to look at Duke right now. I think they might be in the best position as a number one overall seed, even though they didn't win the conference, which is another interesting yeah. debate. Should someone that uh, has not won the conference be able to get that number one overall seed? It's kind of like the BCS uh, championship yeah. situation. You don't win your conference, should you be in? So uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Well, my thoughts are, let's see how they do in the ACC tournament. <laughs> because if they can get to that ACC tournament championship game and, you know, heck, if they win the ACC tournament, I, I would not have any problem giving Duke the number one overall seed. That being said, you know, Gonzaga's lost, what, twice all year? Tough to tough, – it would be tough to knock them off with, uh, you know, a Duke team that did struggle a little bit without Ryan Kelly. But, man, you know, him and Plumlee down there, they got Curry shooting from outside. They look like a really complete team. And uh, even if they don't win the ACC – outright obviously Miami wrapped that up with that win over Clemson they did at full strength beat that Miami team pretty recently so uh, I I don't know Uh, it's interesting but like you said you know 
in the BCS, Alabama didn't win the SEC, and then they went and won the national championship. So, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I'm not sure if I would uh, give Duke that. I think if they do win the ACC tournament, I think you're right. If they don't, I think they'll probably fall out of that number one overall. But would you give them still a number one seed without winning the tournament and the regular season? I think that's another another interesting question. Yeah, and uh, that's going to depend because if they make a run to the you know to the finals, they're a number one seed. I don't think there's any question about that. I think the only way you that they almost aren't a one seed would be to go one and done in the ACC tournament. But other than that, I mean, they played as well as anybody lately. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, once again, I'd like to remind you, we've got about, oh, I don't know, 20 minutes left. The number here uh, to call in is 323-927-2906. You want to talk Duke, Miami, and uh, maybe our next team that always seems to uh, <laughs> cause a rocket, that's Kentucky. Kells, the, the Wildcats are in, right? I mean, they got that big win against Florida at Rupp Arena. Uh, they're in at this point, regardless of the SEC tournament, I have to think, right? Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. Uh, 12 and 6 in the league, and they could be the two seed in that league, which just shows you how bad that it's been. But um, yeah, I think they're in. I think once they beat Florida, even though they lost to Arkansas and Georgia, they're another team like we talked about earlier. Uh, quality wins versus number of wins, maybe. I think Kentucky's yeah. shown that their ceiling is pretty high, and so I think that they've uh, really. I think they're in once they beat Florida at home. Uh, even if they do lose in the first round of the SEC tournament, which you, you could definitely see happening, I think that will only affect their seeding. I think right now they're probably an 8 or 9 seed. Uh, if they lose in the first round, they might fall down to a 10 or 11 seed, but I think they're still going to make it in. Okay. And and Kentucky, another one of those teams, high ceiling, a lot of young talent, a uh, lot of things going on there. Uh, Coach Calipari uh, obviously has a pretty impressive tournament resume, just won it all last year with another young bunch. This group not quite as talented and obviously missing their star, uh, Nerland's Noel, the freshman sensation that went down with a torn ACL in their first matchup with the Gators. That one was in Gainesville. But even without them, they were able to beat the Gators at home. And, and we haven't talked that much about the Florida Gators on this show. Uh, you know, it's, we've assumed they're in. Obviously, I think that's still a, a definite safe assumption. They're in the tournament. But they quietly lost a couple games and haven't looked great what do we make of Florida? They've kind of played their way out of being a number one seed. Uh, are they a legitimate Final Four contender right now in your mind? You know, that's really uh, something that has really been tough for them in the past uh, month because you look at losing at Missouri, at Tennessee, and at Kentucky. Those are three road games, but still those losses don't exactly inspire confidence in you. Um, I think they were absolutely dominating everyone until they lost uh, to Arkansas on February 5th. I mean, they are winning – games by scores of 75-36, uh, just absolutely mowing down everybody else. And they really have kind of, I know uh, they lost uh, Scotty Wilbekin for a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. He's come back. Um, so I think, uh, you know, they've done a good job of, you know, keeping the ship uh, steady during that time. And I don't think they are a number one seed right now, even if they do win the SEC tournament, because I think there's not enough quality wins for them to get in their path. But I think when they make the tournament, it's going to depend on their draw. And they're a team, obviously, with the coach uh, and Billy Donovan, who knows how to get them to the Final Four. So I'd say, yeah, they can still probably reach the Final Four. Uh, they probably still have the talent for it, but certainly not inspiring confidence at this point. Yeah, they're, they're a very interesting team. And next week we're going to have Julie Quitner, who covers them for uh, the Gainesville News, and we're going to get her on talk a little SEC basketball as well. We're going to have a two-hour special for you next week of taking you to school. And my goodness, two hours of us. Can you think of anything better, Kels? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a long class. I'm taking you to school here. It's like a Indeed. Full that's why we're getting a lot of guests. So you don't have to just yeah. listen to my voice for two hours. <laughs> okay. Ooh, I mean. um, but uh so anyways, uh getting back to the Gators, they're you know, like you said, they're really talented. They've got some versatile bigs, guys like Murphy that can really shoot it. The the thing that, when I watch them, it's all about Kenny Boynton. And when he's asserting himself, man, are they tough to beat. And he just seems to disappear in some games, like he, he did against Kentucky. And uh, I really like Kenny Boynton. He went to my high school. He's a, an American Heritage Patriot, so i got to give him a shout-out there. Uh -huh. But uh, wow. he's going to be kind of the key for them going down the stretch. Yeah, yeah, you didn't know that, did you? I'm a, I'm a Kenny Boynton fan. Uh, 
the uh, second most famous alum of your high school then. Exactly. You oh, know, uh, my yeah. my high school is doing a special on uh, guys who work in sports, and I'm going against uh, Kenny Boynton and Eric Hosmer for uh, that feature. So I'm probably not going to get it. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. But, You're a dark horse. Dark horse can I'm a, yeah, I'm a bracket buster in that one. Uh, let's uh, let's talk these conference championship tournaments, and we'll we'll go down memory lane a little bit, Kells. I know you're uh, you're really fond of the Big East tournament, and you know things are about to change on that front. Uh, this week, we've seen some teams play themselves into the big dance that we didn't expect. Uh, we've seen a flurry of buzzer beaters already this early in these uh, tournaments. Uh, looking back, what are some of your favorite uh, championship week memories? Uh, you know, I love going back in memory, memory lane, uh, especially with the Big East. I mean, that was such a great tournament to go to. Uh, me and my father used to go every single year, and uh, it's really going to be sad to see it ending. It's just it's beyond ridiculous, the fact that this is the final Big East tournament at the Garden with UConn in it, with Syracuse in it. But uh, those are some of my real great memories when you look at uh, UConn in 2011, uh, just making that run, coming from the ninth seed in the Big East Nine and nine in the conference, and winning the Big East championship five games in five days. I mean, no, you don't get better than that in March. And then obviously going on and winning the NCAA tournament. But I think it was more impressive what they did in the Big East tournament that year. When you look at the teams they beat, because the Big East was so great that season. Uh, when you look at obviously Louisville and the teams that they had, Pittsburgh, which was uh, one of the top teams in the country. Yeah. Uh, and then I also I also remember uh, Syracuse when they beat when they made a similar run uh, going to the NCAA tournament with Jerry McNamara, hitting some game-winning shots uh, a few years back. I think it was 2006 uh, when they made that run, beat Cincinnati in a first-round game on a game-winner at the top of the key by McNamara, beat Georgetown on a great pass by McNamara to Dienzendorf uh, under the hoop at the end of that game. So those are two things that I remember. And also uh, one of my favorite memories was from a couple of years ago, 2008, when uh, Georgia came out of nowhere. And won yeah. the SEC tournament. That was the year that uh, a tornado hit the Georgia Dome, um, and I think obviously it uh, they co- it cost them one game in the uh, quarterfinal round. They had to uh, move that game to the next day and had to move the whole tournament to Georgia Tech in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, because of the fact that there were so many fans that had tickets uh, and the uh, capacity was much smaller at Georgia Tech, they actually had to limit it to basically people who were affiliated with the school, so none of the fans got to go. And so it was just basically the bands and the cheerleaders uh, at Georgia Tech, and you saw Georgia make a run. They won two games in one day. Uh, they beat Kentucky, yeah. and uh, I think they beat Arkansas also in the same day and won that and uh, went out to the conference championship game and won it. So those are some of my favorite memories uh, when you look at conference championship week, and that's what makes it so special in my eyes. Yeah, boy, that Georgia run was one of the most bizarre <laughs> conference tournament stories Ever and uh, you know that Georgia team was a pretty average team too. So they really were. They did have one guy that went to the NBA Sunday out of games, who I think was uh, he spent some time with the Utah Jazz. He was one of my favorite players. And uh, the moment that I'll always remember from that actually is uh, after the game when uh, CBS instead of playing their normal tournament music to go on to the next game, as it was uh, in during the break between games. They played uh, Georgia by Ray Charles. It was just an amazing moment, I think, to see the players dancing around with Georgia playing in the background. It was just, it gives you goosebumps, and that's what March is all about. Yeah, indeed, and you mentioned having that one player that can go off. That's kind of what I remember, and, you know, I I mean, I'm from Pittsburgh. I grew up in Miami, but I've always been a Big Ten fan, and maybe that's why I suckered myself into going to school in Indiana and going to Purdue. But uh, I, I kind of have a weird one that I remember pretty fondly. Uh, back in 2001, one of the first couple Big Ten tournaments, I think this was like the fourth or fifth Big Ten tournament, uh, and it was one of those really average Steve Alford-led Iowa Hawkeye teams. They kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, Iowa was the sixth seed. It was a pretty weak Big Ten field. They were 7-9 and nine in the conference. They were just really mediocre. <laughs> they weren't anything special. <laughs> Uh, and they just lost Luke Rucker, who was one of their, their best players. But Reggie Evans just went ham on the entire Big Ten. Uh, they rolled off wins. They beat a bad Northwestern team. They shocked Ohio State, beat maybe the best Penn State basketball team ever. And then they went on to beat Alfred's alma mater, Indiana, in the championship game in a really close one to uh, punch their ticket to the tournament. 
they went on to beat Creighton in the first round of the tournament that year, a pretty good Creighton team, uh, but they did eventually bow out to Kentucky. And I just remember, man, like, where did Iowa come from? <laughs> Holy hell. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those things that you, you pay attention to a specific conference and you see a team come from out of nowhere. And that's kind of the stereotypical story this time of year. And, and that's why these tournaments are so fun to watch. And uh, actually, I believe that was Steve Alford, his only NCAA tournament win at Iowa before they canned him and uh, led to some, you know, coaching upheaval in Iowa City uh, that has now eventually led to McCaffrey getting the job. And he's doing a pretty good job with the Hawkeyes. But uh, that's kind of my one weird tournament that I, that I always think of. The, the best Penn State team ever. I think they were a seven seed, right? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> they weren't that. They, they weren't that good. That just tells you about Penn State basketball, right there. But you know, it's a football school. <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's a lot like saying the best Indiana football team ever back in 2007 that went uh, seven and six. So <laughs> yeah, that's. that's that's a very good comparison. They have they their magical the run. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at least Kentucky's made some runs to the Gaylord Hotel's Music City Bowl. But uh, Indiana's best team, I think they made that magical run, went 7-6 and six with a loss in the Insight Bowl. That was their magical run. What uh, a magical season. When is the movie was. coming out about that, that year? You know, I don't want to get too off subject. We only got 10 minutes left, but that actually was a great story for them, and I hate Indiana. But Terry Hepner, their coach, who originally coached at Miami of Ohio, coached Ben Roethlisberger, uh, went to Indiana, said it was his dream job, and he ended up – he died the year before. And he had the, the dream of Indiana playing 13 and getting them back to a bowl game for the first time since 92. And uh, they ended up making a bowl game the year after he died. So it actually was a pretty amazing story, even though they had to beat my uh, my alma mater to get to that bowl game night. Was really upset at the time, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Great, great story that has absolutely nothing to do with what they're talking about. Uh, let's get back on t- on subject here, and Kels, I gotta ask you, who are your four number one seeds right now, and your number one overall seed? We're not talking hypotheticals. What do they do, you know, in the tournament? Yada yada. As things stand right now, who are your top four in order, and uh, who right now do you think is your uh, pick to win the national championship? Well, uh, I'm not really sure what awards we get for radio. I know it's not the Emmys <laughs> or something like that, but I'm going to make an award-winning segue right here from that Indiana football team into Indiana basketball. I think they're going to be, obviously, oh. a uh, number one seed. I know you like that segue. But okay. uh, I think they do probably have done enough. They probably have done enough uh, to uh, earn a number one seed in the tournament. I think they kind of just been the, uh, the team all season long. I know they still have a game against Michigan, and it's going to depend – on what they do in the Big Ten tournament, but I think they have done enough to earn that number one seed. I think Duke, obviously, has done enough. Um, I think Georgetown is the other team. I think they're another team out of the Big East, obviously, with what they've done, even if they lose in the Big East tournament, which would not not surprise me uh, because there's so many good teams in that league, and I don't think Georgetown's invincible, but I think they've done enough to earn that uh, number one seed. And I think Gonzaga, even if they do lose in the conference championship game, uh, to San Diego or to uh, St. Mary's actually beat San Diego in overtime last night. Um, mm-hmm. I think they still probably have done enough. Only lost two games all season this year. So uh, struggled a little bit yesterday with uh, Loyola Marymount, which that would have been another uh, team that we would have been talking about maybe in next year's show as one of our great March uh, Madness memories had they beaten Gonzaga. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I think Gonzaga's probably done enough. Those are my four uh, one seeds right now, and I'd have to say Duke is the overall number one. Uh, as it looks at this at this point. Okay. Yeah, you know, I, I can't really disagree with you too much. Uh, Gonzaga just hasn't done anything to knock them off. They've beaten everybody in front of them, so, you, you know, you got to respect What What are their losses? You know, they have a last-second loss to Butler. You know, there's no bad loss even in their losses. There are uh, two losses. You look at Duke, uh, like I said, I think they're playing as well or better than anybody in the country. And I really just love the way Georgetown's playing. You know, winning 12 out of your last 13 in that brutal Big East, that isn't easy. And I know their one loss was to Villanova, but I think that's more a product of Villanova just coming on strong and really making a push for the tournament uh, than an indictment on Georgetown. And, you know, they've won games where they've blew people away like they did against Syracuse, and they uh, have won some really, really tight games, Those the, the double overtime game where Otto Porter just went crazy, uh, I believe against Connecticut. So they're, they're winning in different ways. They've got star player in Otto Porter that can elevate his game when need be, and at winning time they're doing it. 
Uh, and, yeah, right now, Indiana, uh, obviously, we'll know a lot more about the Hoosiers in five minutes. Uh, they're playing a big one at the Chrysler, uh, Chrysler Arena against Michigan and Ann Arbor. And, uh, you know, Trey Burke's certainly going to have a lot to say about who wins that game and maybe uh, splitting the Big Ten title with the Hoosiers. The Hoosiers can win the Big Ten title outright with that game. Uh, they've already locked up the number one seed for the tournament, but a lot to be determined in that game. But right now I'm going to have to assume that Indiana wins because they're uh, the higher seed and we're going with what's going on right now. But obviously wouldn't be a shock to see them lose that game. Right now I got Gonzaga, Duke, Indiana, and Georgetown. I got to give Duke my number one overall seed. But here's my, my uh, shock for you, Kells. My pick to win it all right now, I'm going with Georgetown. I really like the Hoyas. I think they're hot. I think Otto Porter is playing the best of anybody in the country. Uh, who do you think will win it all at this point? Yeah, that's not a bad pick. I mean, you look at what they've done in the last 15, 20 games. They've been unbelievable. Uh, and you're right about that loss to Villanova. They followed it up with a pretty uh, pretty strong showing against Syracuse. Uh, Georgetown's a good pick. I just think that a lot of times that one team that looks hot at the end of the season, you know, it only takes one to knock you out. So I think yeah. a lot of times the team will lose that game and, and uh, it won't be that team that ends up winning at all. My pick right now, it's really so tough to, to choose right now one team. Um, but I really, you know, you look at Michigan. I mean, they really, uh, I think they probably will lose to Indiana at home today, but they've got so much talent. Um, when you look at Trey Burke, who's one of the best players in the country, I think they've got a shot. Maybe I know that's kind of a off-the-wall pick a little bit. They are ranked number seven in the country right now. But talent-wise, I think they've done a great job. Uh, with coaching-wise, obviously, John Beeline is an underrated coach. So there's so many different teams. I think if I had to pick one right now, uh, you know, I'm just kind of leaning towards Indiana. Um, I think they've, they've probably got the most talent in the country, and they've got that big man, Cody Zeller, who when things break down, uh, he's probably the best guy in the country to go to. And then also Duke, obviously, the, the way they played with Ryan Kelly. I uh, would love to see them get knocked off if I'm not a big Duke fan. But... <laughs> You can't ignore what they've done. Yeah. All right, Kels. Well, you've done a great job of totally avoiding the question. Give me one team, man. Who's going to win it? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I probably got to go with Indiana. Out of okay. all, I know I know Duke is is probably the most impressive, but I know you gave one. I'm going to give one. I'm going to say Indiana. Uh, it's tough. All right. Tough to all commit. Right. I can't commit. <laughs> You know, a couple weeks ago, I would have said Indiana emphatically. I do. I still think they're the best team in the country, but I just love the way Georgetown's playing lately, and I think Otto Porter, when he gets going, is tough to stop. I love Georgetown defensively, and I think when things go to the half court, you know, like you said with a Cody Zeller, you know, the games are going to slow down in the tournament. You need some way to score in the half court, so that's why I really like Indiana. You know, obviously we don't know how the bracket's going to break down, and when you look at the bracket, you might say – you know, this team has a great draw or, or, or what have you. But uh, I got to say, you know, Georgetown's my pick, but tough to go against Indiana. We talk about Oladipo all the time. He's such a great defensive stopper. He gets things going in transition for them. Uh, but in the half court, they've got guys like Jordan Hulls who can knock down the open three and Zeller who demands a double team down on the block. They're a really, really complete team. And you talk about Michigan. You know, I think Michigan, if you just had uh, the families of those guys playing – They'd be unbeatable. They got Tim Hardaway Jr., Glenn Robinson the third. They've got Al Horford's younger brother. That's a you know that's a family affair right there. Michigan would be able to win with you know if they had Horford, Glenn Robinson, and uh, Tim Hardaway, they'd be pretty unbeatable. But uh, man, the Big Ten meat grinder at the top. Really, really great teams. Yeah, I mean Michigan would probably win that father son tournament that they have after the NCAA tournament, but. Um, <laughs> And another team, Joe, that we haven't talked about is Louisville, too. I think they're another team that can make certainly a run, certainly has the talent and the coach uh, to make a run for that championship. So I think they're another interesting team. Yeah, I mean, I'll never sleep on uh, Rick Pitino to uh, get a team to uh, the Final Four, at least. You know, they, he's got a recent resume with them, and obviously he's done it pretty much everywhere he's gone. Uh, we got, <laughs> what do we have, one minute left. Uh, I guess I'd like to remind you all that uh, RF Sports Radio is uh, has a nice portal on their website. If you want to buy some tickets to the big dance, you want to go get, catch some of the madness of March, you can go to rfsportsradio.com and uh, click through there to get your uh, tickets. Next week, we are going to have a two-hour-long Selection Sunday special. Maybe we'll get Jeremy back on. I don't know. You, you think you'll join us next week, Kill? 
For the two-hour special, I mean, maybe you could carve out, you know, 15 minutes of that. Uh, (laughs) Hopefully, uh, like I said, we're going to have some guests uh, coming to you that cover multiple teams across multiple conferences. We're going to have a West Coast guy give us his West Coast bias. We've got uh, one of my good friends, Julie Quitner, coming to you from the SEC. So we're going to have a lot for you uh, next week. We're going to break down kind of in real time as those last results come in, you know, who's going to be in, who's going to be out. Uh, so once again, thanks for tuning in, uh, taking you to school. I'm Joe Perello of SweetSports.com. That's S-U-I-T-E Sports.com. He's Kel Dayton of Round Ball Daily. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for our two-hour special. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.